Give me the thumbs up. Well, uh, good morning. Um, it's uh, 11.28. We're, we're live uh, this morning. I trust you're well. Uh, um, it's great to, to meet together like this. And uh, we're in new surroundings. We keep, we keep getting upgrades every week. Uh, I, I hope you've noticed that. And um, this morning we're in a brand new location. Um, please, uh, please stay with us as we meet together around God's Word. Um, we're, we're here to, uh, to feed together. We're here uh, to be blessed uh, and to hear from God and His Word. And I trust you're sitting comfortably in that sofa or wherever you happen to be. Uh, and we're going to uh, gather around God's Word uh, in, this, uh, in this fashion. Uh, thanks uh, to uh, Susanna for the Sunday School lesson, as we just heard, and uh, to Matthew and Lindsay for play, playing and leading us in praise. Uh, thanks to Deborah for reading God's Word, and also to Chris uh, for uh, introducing and praying um, for the boys and girls. Uh, Chris, of course, is our new elder, and we're very pleased about that. That's just happened this past week. Uh, and on the subject of office bearers, uh, I'm pleased to announce that we have two new deacons as well. Um, that those are Ian Hamilton and Andrew Hume. Uh, we are uh, we're meeting together tonight at seven o'clock uh, on on Zoom uh, uh, for a prayer meeting, uh, and David has emailed out uh, the link for that, uh, and you can access that. Uh, I'll share it again later on on WhatsApp and on the church uh, Facebook group. Uh, but uh, we'll be praying for all of our frontline uh, workers and for all lots of other important matters. Uh, please uh, join with us uh, if you have no internet access. Uh, you can even join us on an ordinary telephone, uh, and uh, that's a, that's a new thing. Uh, the details are again on yesterday his email but I'll be sharing them this afternoon as well and if you want to know that please uh, contact me if I haven't uh, got that information to you so the reasons for not joining us are, are reducing by the day uh, so we're, we're going to be praying together tonight but on the subject of prayer um, I wonder um, if we could bow our heads as I lead us just now uh, in, a, in a moment or two of prayer uh, together before we come uh, to the book of James let's pray together uh, Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this uh, new day. We thank you uh, that your mercies are new every single morning. And we come to you today uh, because of your rich uh, mercy uh, to us. We come uh, before a great and a mighty God, uh, the God who uh, made all things, the God who, who knows all things, uh, the God who brings all things uh, to be according uh, to his purposes, which cannot be curtailed, which cannot be faltered. The God who at Easter just last weekend made the way for us to be forgiven, to be made right uh, in your sight. We thank you for King Jesus. We thank you for the very God of heaven made man, the King of glory slain for us on the cross uh, and and risen again victorious uh, over death and hell and viruses. And we come to you today uh, for where else can we turn? Uh, You have made us, Father. You have given us the very breath in our our lungs. Uh, You speak to us um, through your living word in the Bible. uh, And there we find the very words of eternal life by which we can be saved. Please bless us, Father, uh, as we meet uh, around your word this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it has power, that it has authority, that it has deep significance to us. We thank you that it not only rings true, but is true, because it comes from the God who cannot lie. We, we pray, Father, and ask for your mercy uh, for our world. We pray for, for leaders and governments of developing nations where it's uh, so hard uh, to contain this uh, outbreak. We, we pray for wisdom for them. We pray for the search for drug treatments and a vaccine that you would be merciful and grant favour and success. We pray that the, the spread of this virus, Father, would be curtailed in these days. We, we thank you uh, that our infections and deaths have been less than first feared father but still there are many suffering 
And we bring these people uh, to you today and ask that you would work, please, in their hearts, in their bodies, in their lives. We pray for our government. Uh, We pray both locally and nationally uh, that you would guide them with wisdom as they seek to protect public health and to save lives. We we thank you for uh, all of the NHS, uh, those working selflessly there and in care homes and, and in essential services, keeping our country running. Father, thank you for our heroes that we know and love and are so proud of. We pray for all of our brothers and sisters in our fellow Baptist churches today up and down uh, the the land and this island seeking to meet uh, in circumstances similar to ourselves. Father, we pray that despite the circumstances you would build and grow uh, and uh, may these people know uh, a strength of faith and love for Christ. We pray um, for those who are vulnerable. Uh, and those who have underlying health problems. Uh, Father, we think about our own church family and that. We pray for those shielding, uh, those feeling lonely at home. We pray that they would know your sustaining power, that you would give them strong minds, and as they lean on Christ, that they would find in him everything that they need in these trying days. Father, please bless us and work in our hearts. And may we know in these um, alternative, not uh, desirable uh, circumstances, but may we know in them a wonderful blessing of God through his word today. We pray this in our Saviour's name. Amen. I wonder will you turn with me again to that passage in James, which Deborah read for us a few moments ago. Uh, This morning's message is called, Why the Trials? There was um, a very strange Thursday uh, in the second week in March when all sorts of that can't happen things began to happen. I remember coming home uh, from the prayer meeting the night before uh, to hear about what Cherith's friend uh, who works in the ICU in the Royal had been telling her. It was shocking uh, and the reality of it all began to to dawn on us as we watched what was happening in Italy. And it was hard to sleep that night and in fact for the next three or four By the next day, the the Thursday, events began to get cancelled right, left and centre. Music festivals, the Six Nations Rugby, the release of the new Bond movie, Grand Prix, the Eurovision Song Contest, the London Marathon, the Premier League uh, football season. All these dominoes all began to topple over at breakneck speed as things were cancelled. But uh, the Olympics, the apex of modern sport, well they held out. Uh, it wasn't due to start until July and, uh, and at the end of July and so there was uh, plenty of time and surely this would all be sorted out in a week or two. But then as social distancing began to kick in and, and public buildings and, and places began to close, that there were more and more issues. Training locations for athletes were not available anymore. Uh, Canadian national trials could not happen, they were cancelled. And eventually the whole event fell to the inevitable and had to be postponed until next year. You simply cannot have the Olympics without the trials. As we all know, you cannot just show up in your jogging bottoms and trainers in Tokyo and, uh, and say, I'm here. Can you imagine it? No, they, they don't want a national embarrassment. That's what I would be. I don't know about you. And no, you need to be of a decent standard, don't you? You, you have to go through the pain barrier to build your muscles. Uh, you have to go through the trials. You have to prove your worth at your discipline before your country will select you. New trials, new Olympics. James um, has written uh, what we would call a general letter in our New Testament. The reason for that is that he doesn't address it to a particular church or a particular area, unlike Paul in, in Colossians or Thessalonians, for example. There's some debate here, but when James writes, verse 1, uh, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, 
Uh, some believe he, he's referring uh, to the true Israel, the whole believing people of God, converted Jews and converted Gentiles, as Paul would explain in Galatians chapter 3. But uh, the content would suggest that James probably has particular people in mind, his particular people in mind, in Jerusalem. Now, there are two Jameses in the New Testament that would be able to get away with referring to themselves as just James in the opening line of this letter. Uh, one is the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, and a fellow apostle. There were twelve disciples Jesus called to help him, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, his brother John. But uh, this James was sadly killed by Herod in Acts chapter 12, and that rules him out of writing this letter. The other significant James is, is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, Mary and Joseph's son. He didn't follow Jesus, as far as we can tell, until after the resurrection, when the Lord appeared to him, as recorded in 1 Corinthians 15. Sibling rivalries are sometimes hard to shake, and certainly it's hard for a prophet to gain honour in his own home. But this James was converted, and, and is now, verse 1, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. No more sibling rivalry. James became a church leader, an elder in the church in Jerusalem. And after the death of Stephen, as, as De Deborah read for us in Acts, there's a massive shock to the system in Jerusalem. There's a persecution against Christians up that begins and people begin to disperse. As a result, they disperse far and they disperse near. When he speaks of the dispersion in James' uh, letter, verse 1, he, he's speaking about people from Jerusalem originally now living as refugees in various places, like Judea and Samaria and Syria and Greece and the like. And as an elder in Jerusalem, uh, he has his own people in his mind and on his heart. He, he's concerned for them as they cannot be together anymore. They are scattered. I'm an elder in this our church. And I know how he feels. And I share his concern. I, I, I'm chiefly concerned for you. And with the technology, others can listen in and they're most welcome. But, but my chief concern lies with your well-being, our church. With feeding the flock that God has given me concern and spiritual leadership over. Concern that you're, that you're well and don't go cold in your spiritual being. We're scattered too at present. And however dissatisfactory this Sunday situation is, uh, we're of course thankful for the technology and the skills of, of those that have set this up and enabled it to be on this platform. But, but, but I really care that you aren't spiritually starving during the restrictions. We're commencing a series uh, for our current scattered state as a church. A, a series that I hope to start in this room on a Sunday morning but, but not finish here, if you know what I mean. It's a series in the book of James that we're calling Faith While Scattered. Yes, James writes for his flock, his people. But, but as in the case of much of the Bible, there's what's going on there and then. And there are principles that, that we can draw out. Principles and teaching points from God that apply in any age. That apply to us, in other words. That God is speaking through in this situation to us in our situation. For James, his people are scattered and they're suffering. Being scattered is hard. James's flock are poor and they're far from the safety in numbers, the support that they had once known. 
but with, uh, also with, with, with difficult issues to face, uh, mostly based around money and exploitation. In the first century, the poverty gap was, was very wide. Uh, the, the rich are very rich, uh, and are, as a result are, are powerful and getting richer all the time. And, and the poor are, are, are very poor and powerless and, and, and getting poorer. Poverty is a trial. It's written in James a lot about. It's a test that includes dignity. What am I willing to do for money? It's a test of self-respect. Can I provide for my family? But contrary to what you might expect, James's letter is not a, a there there sympathy card that he's bought in, 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 in Cardland uh, to these believers with a, with, a, with a nice, if a little, over-the-top sympathetic poem, uh, not Seamus Heaney, of course. No, it's not like that at all. It's not what you expect. It's actually a real perspective rechecker. It's like an optical illusion, actually. Where the whole thing changes depending on how you look at it. A young woman with her hair tied back, or an older man with a moustache, which do you see? Sorry if you're on the audio only. You'll just have to imagine. And James's perspective on trials that Christians are facing is applicable while separated and suffering one way or another from the effects of this virus. Yes, we're certainly separated. And that causes us to suffer one way or the other, right? Loneliness, missing the church family, the grandchildren, children manic at home while you're trying to do a 40-hour week upstairs in some sort of makeshift office. On the front line, risking your life and limb for others. And we're so proud of you, by the way. So it's applicable to every one of us. What is James's perspective? In these first four verses, there are three parts to it that I want to outline to you. Firstly, um, trials are because you lack. Trials are because you lack. James writes it there. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's verse 2. For, the, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that these trials exist so you may be perfect. Uh, mature is probably a better word. And complete. If you may be then it's implied, isn't it, that you are not yet mature and complete. If steadfastness, or other versions have endurance, if endurance is to be produced to have its full effect, it follows that some of the effects are as yet unknown. And if, it, and if you're going to lack nothing, the inference is that you currently lack something. What do they lack in first century Syria, Samaria, Judea, separated, having fled from the persecution in Jerusalem? Perhaps they lack something that living in economic rich versus poor teaches them. Uh, perhaps they lack wisdom. Perhaps they, they lack an eternal perspective. Perhaps they lack dependence on God. Perhaps they lack something that they learn in the darkness that they would never learn in the light. And we can imagine God at work in some of those goals today, can't we? Even though it's hard. These believers have a God who is so big and sovereign that he can even use the sin of others uh, to do good in them as they mistreat them. Not to break them, but to make them. Poverty is suffering. It goes without saying. And it can come to believers and unbelievers alike. But, but some have the ability to see it another way. Everyone is suffering the effects of this virus, but some can see it another way. Some can see God at work. Pain is not always bad. You say, what do you mean? Well, when you touch a, a hot spoon and a saucepan on the hob, it needs to hurt you. 
so that you don't hold on. Muscle pain is necessary for the young up-and-coming athlete and she, she needs the, the 6am run in the cold and to stretch her, to toughen her. She, but it comes with pain in those muscles as they develop, as they get used to it, as they are stretched. She needs the experience. You need the, you need the maturing impact, the enduring impact, and, and so do I. You wouldn't ask for it, and you might even question God in it. But when James puts it this way, he, he states it as, as necessary. It's a bridge that you must cross. A bridge from where you are to where God wants you to be. If it's something you lack. Of course, we don't lack anything for salvation. We have Christ. Uh, we, we are not like the rich young ruler in, in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus says, You lack one thing. Sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. He lacked Christ and so he lacked salvation. We who believe and and claim the name of Christian have put down every other save ourselves obstacle and trusted in Christ alone. We're we're not depending on good works for for in that we lack. We, we, We all fall short. But we're trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross to save us, to make us right before a holy God who we've sinned against. And if you have, and I trust you have, we're, we're not those who lack anything for salvation, but we have not yet attained our fully changed situation. We're not a finished work. He is, but, but we're not yet. Where you live is somewhere between the already of, of salvation and the not yet of eternal glory. And while we're here, we lack. We lack what God has for us to, to make us, to build us, to refine us. And, and for that we need trials. Christians who've had an easy time are not usually strong Christians. We need God to send the very things that we don't want. You know the multiple of multitude of, of minor trials that, that come every day. They, they seem minor just now. The, the sickness, the unemployment, the, bu- the bullying at school, the, the job that you, you aren't sure you can do, the, the struggle to keep the, the costs down, the, the house that seems to be like a money pit, the minor car crash, the, the wayward or difficult children... The gossip that's doing the rounds about you. And the major ones. You know, the the cancer scare and the the scan that you can hardly bear. The the death in the family. The the COVID-19 struggles. The the worry about how bad it's going to be and and, and who it's going to take. Trials are because you lack, says God. Secondly, we need to recheck our perspective to see that trials are part of God's way. As you read this this first chapter of James, there's something out of the ordinary. I'm sure you noticed. Faced with difficulties in life, James is not saying several things. He's not saying, pity you. He's not saying, you're entitled to vent and complain and let off some steam and you'll feel better. He's not saying, have a relaxed attitude, a kind of doesn't really affect me approach about life, a kind of que sera, sera. No, what's this response he's speaking about? It's, it's, it's shocking, I can tell you that. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. Of course, you know that brothers is a collective word for, for brothers and sisters. I count it all joy, brothers and sisters. But, but that's not really where this grates with us, is it? No, we're thinking, are you serious? Have you lost your mind, James? And we take breath and we wonder how on earth. How do we count it joy? And to make matters worse, he says count it all joy. All means all. All means struggles and sickness and viruses and death of a loved one. All. And that's just it. 
It's not possible on earth with a this world attitude. This, the reason it seems so strange is that this, comes, this, this attitude comes from another world. Remember the difference between happiness and joy? We talked about this when we looked, about, looked at Philippians last year. Happiness is, is temporary uh, when your pay comes in. When you take off on that long-awaited holiday, when will that be? Uh, when your children comes home, come home from school with a glowing school report, when will they get back to school? <laughs> when your team scores and, and your loving life, when are they going to put the sport back on? But it doesn't last. It doesn't last when they cancel it all, but it doesn't last anyway. But joy, joy is different. It's, it's not based on circumstance. It, it's based on standing. It's based on the sure and certain of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Joy in a trial is foreign. But if it's for our good, if it's for our spiritual growth, if it's to give us what we lack, if God is at work, then that's different. That's a girl with hair tied back, not a man with a moustache. For, for you and I, aren't fully mature. God wants a mature cheddar, if you like. And we're not fully complete. Uh, Some of your jigsaw is still in the box. The workings of God are in many cases upside down to what we expect. God's workings and ways are not what we are naturally inclined to. I mean, what what we might expect, perhaps, when we come to faith, when we become Christians, is that we've got God's favourite mark placed on us. Our backstage passes to to all the good stuff. You know, long life and sickness-free and family that will come to faith and and no COVID-19 in our house. I mean, if he's a sovereign God, then surely he can do this for us. I mean, surely he can just melt away all those trials. But no, the trials are not going to go. A Bible-based response that comes from Christian maturity is to count it joy because they're designed by God for a purpose. Because God is at work in something most desirable in his heavenly way. And to latch on to that purpose is a a seat of joy. Long-lasting, I am his and he is mine. Confidence in the purposes of a God who works for his glory and for our good in all things. Let's look at these first century Christians again. These believers that are trampled underfoot and in humble circumstances when they're being mistreated. What, what lessons is God teaching them? Let's consider them in, in this with, with, with wisdom from, from here and on other biblical passages. Well, their poverty teaches them what real riches are. Earthly riches are passing and fleeting. We know that right now, all right. Real, real riches are heavenly. They, they last. They, they don't fail ever. Their poverty teaches them what real status is. Real status is not social status. Real status is, is heavenly status. Verse 9 says that believers in humble circumstances are to take pride in their high position. Again, that sounds like a trite remark. But no. <laughs> no, it's not. It, it, it is true that believers have a high position to, despite their social standing. Because listen to Ephesians chapter 2. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and there's more, and raised us up with him in heavenly, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's proper status. You can be someone who cleans out the sewers. But if you're an heir and a joint heir with Christ, 
Their poverty also teaches them what real generosity is. When, you're, when you receive harsh treatment from the mean and the harsh, the boss who's never happy with your performance, what does that teach you about a God who gives generously to all without finding fault? What does that teach you about the gospel? When even when you deserve the instant judgment of God, you end up with a clean slate, you end up with eternal salvation, adoption to the heavenly family, and a seat in heavenly places. It says an awful lot, doesn't it? James is saying... Count it, or, or consider it, NIV, Christian Standard Bible, have consider it. He's saying, collect your thoughts. Think of your perspective. Consider God at work all the time, not, not just when it's going well for you. Yes, thank God in that. Praise him for that. Recognize him in it. But in all things, good and apparently bad. There isn't a flap of the butterfly outside of his control, you know that? There isn't a a square inch of the world that he hasn't got in his hands. So when trouble comes, God is at work. Think of the story of your life and what he could be doing. Much is hidden from us. Yes, there is a secret will, which of course is by its very nature secret. But it's not secret that he works for our good. James tells us that here. We read read it in other passages. It's a reminder of of our sovereign, he knows what he's doing, God. It means to take the trial and to turn it right around. It doesn't just become neutral. No, it becomes a good thing. It means to grow. If it means to grow, if it means to become complete. To lack nothing. Listen to Peter's perspective in in his letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this. In this you rejoice, same idea. Though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He agrees with what James says, doesn't he? He's talking about various trials too. He's talking about joy. He says it's necessary. It's something necessary. That's an important word there. If you have it, then it's necessary, says Peter. And it's for God's glory and for your good. Trials are because you lack. Trials are part of God's way. And finally, trials are a test. Verse 3 talks about the testing of your faith. Verse 12, cast your eye down there. It talks about rewards for those who stand firm. I wonder if you ever thought what it would be like if you took your driving test again. I really don't think I would pass uh, too many bad habits. In fact, I'm quite sure I wouldn't. So picture the scene. Uh, you're on your way uh, to get into the car tomorrow to go for your weekly shop. Uh, when you get in, uh, there's a strange middle-aged man in the passenger seat with a clipboard in his hand and a face mask on so it's safe. And as you drive off, uh, you take your normal route and you're in second gear on the roundabout. Uh, you indicate way too late. You have one hand on the steering wheel like this and you're changing the stereo with the other. And you get to Tesco, where uh, other supermarkets are available. He, he turns to you and he says, I'm sorry to tell you, Mr. McCord, that you have failed. But if you know it's your driving test, well, things are much different. You have a whole different perspective, don't you? You, you plan ahead. You, you, you're ready yourself. You, you, you maybe get the highway code out and think about what you need to know. And, uh, and when you get in, it's two hands on the steering wheel, ten to two. It's, it's mirror signal manoeuvre for you. And, and because you're being marked, you, you try hard. You see, if it's a test, as James says it is, then it's something to pass. 
had something to look at with something like competitive eyes, uh, like the athlete. It must not break us. It, it must, with the grace of God and the gift of God in Christ, make us stronger. Uh, we, we just read it in First Peter. They're the, they are to test the genuineness of your faith. They're tests of genuineness. And your faith matters. It's the most important thing about you. Paul says in Second Thessalonians 1 verse 5 that we suffer so we're considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Trials prove the saints worth because the persevering are passing the test. They're being considered worthy. If it wasn't for the trials before the Olympics, the, the sports next summer would be of a very low standard indeed. Imagine the scene. Divers who can't swim. High, high, high jump uh, competitors who can't jump. Uh, rowers who just row around in circles. And weightlifters with broken toes. He's the king. And we are his holy nation. And he's testing us. You and I have to be tested to show our genuineness. You, you see the counterfeits won't make it. They, they want the good life. They, they want the trouble free easy street. They, they cannot consider it pure joy. Only a true believer can. And, and oh, 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 he knows his own for sure. Uh, he's not testing us for genuineness to see who his own are. But, but he still tests us. Verse 12. To that person there's a commendation. You are, you are blessed it says. There's a crown of righteousness to the one who stays to the end, pass the test, win the medal. James is specific when, when it comes to the trial that, that, that his readers have. They, 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 they've been separated. They're, they're suffering in a poverty trap. It's a trial that they're in. And, and yet it's a trial that God has sovereignly laid in their path. But incredibly, such a negative outlook has been turned completely on its head. The various kinds in verse 2, well that opens it up to all trials, that opens it up to us too, doesn't it? The multitude of things that, that go wrong, the, the little things that, that I've already had enough of this day, moments when you, when, I don't know, when things go wrong, when, when, when you can't find a partner to marry and he, he's at work, when, you, when your marriage is on the rocks, he, he's at work, when you cannot see any sense in another relapse in your illness, he's at work, when you, when you can't see how your ends are going to meet, he's at work. And as we're separated and, and dispersed and suffering in, in one way or another, uh, some more so than others, of course, from the effects of this global pandemic, God in his word is, is showing us a different perspective. We can see it different to, to panic and fear and terror. Can we think in terms of heaven's way, God being at work? James is aware that his people are, are dispersed from the church in Jerusalem for a reason. God is at work. He, he, he's always at work. In fact, we get an insight to that. Uh, we can see it clearly in Acts that, that, he, that they had to leave their, their home comforts of the Jerusalem church because God was spreading the gospel out through that. That's what he was doing. We can see it clearly. That's the book of Acts is all about God spreading the gospel through circumstances. And, and that, that, was, that was one of them. They, they, they were moving out and, and, it, and it was horrible. <laughs> and then they had to move out, move out of their homes. But God was working. It was for his glory. And he's working in this global crisis. We talked about it the other week. It's a great big neon sign flashing calling men and women to repent. To, to turn from living for me and, and follow Christ. Uh, God is at work in this in the world. Showing the failure of, of life, lives lived without regard for him. Drawing got it all together people now falling apart to the only one who really can save them. God is at work. In this in the world. But God is also at work in his people in this. God is at work in us in this. 
God allowed it. God sends it. He, he sends it for our maturity and growth. He, he sends it because we lack. He, he sends it to teach us to trust him more and rely less on other false pretenders. He sends it to chip another bit off the likeness of Christ that he's making us to be. In his, in his way of working, that's positive. Really hard, but a cause for joy at the same time. It's a test. Pass the test. Win the crown. Persevere to the end. Be counted worthy of the name of Christ. We're going to spend a few moments just now at the end as we think about the cross. As we think about the death of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to spend a few moments remembering uh, the death of the Lord Jesus. Focusing on his sacrifice. Thanking him for his broken body and, and shed blood. Uh, recommitting our way to him. Let's spend a moment or two in silence as we reflect and remember as we confess our sins before him and recommit our way. And after that I'll pray. But he was uh, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our Heavenly Father we do come and we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the broken body, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices by which we go free, by which we are forgiven, by which we are in a right standing with you because our slate has been wiped clean and Jesus' perfect record is ours instead. We give you um, thanks for what was accomplished on Calvary and we recommit our way to you. We're sorry for our sins. We don't want to live that way. We want to live for Christ. Amen. I'm going to sing a song in a moment. Um, it's O Church Arise. Matthew and Lindsay will be leading us. But let me pronounce a benediction. And I wish you God's blessing today. And I'll see many of you again tonight. Uh, but may you know his help. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to, to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.